0: for the lights to be turned down. Turn all the way till they click off. In the beginning when God created the heavens, and the earth, the first thing he made was light. Everything was dark, and for us as human beings, we would be able to see nothing. It'd be so dark we could feel it. But God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, the light he called day, and the darkness he called night. Throughout the scriptures, you see this continuing theme of light versus darkness. It becomes, in fact, not just light as a substance scientifically, but a symbolic metaphor but more than a metaphor referring to something very real that exists in connection with light but beyond the light, what the light is actually representing, that the light is a symbol. Light is a miracle when you think about it, that I can just click this on and where there once was just black, now you're seeing shadows, you're seeing colors, you're seeing focus, You're seeing us all draw our attention to something that wasn't there. Light is a miracle. And even the light which comes from the stars or the sun and how it arrives millions and billions of light years away to enlighten this world that we're walking on is a miracle. Light isn't even anything apart from God, providing a source of light that gives light to all the things we see that shine. Throughout the scriptures then, light and darkness are playing their role in teaching us something about God and about evil. You have the 10 plagues unfolding and arriving at the ninth plague, where God sends darkness over all the land of Egypt. A darkness so thick that they could feel it, like I can feel this club. A darkness so thick that they couldn't leave their houses for three days because that darkness had taken away every source of light and anything they could do to function and see and go about their business during the day. Except in the houses of the Israelites, where there the flashlights worked, or I should say the candles were still burning. In fact, the candles became a symbol that continued on into the tabernacle, where they would light the candles and God said to keep them lit perpetually. Because when you walked into the tent, it was dark, there was no electricity. And the candles burning symbolizes God's eternal presence providing a source of light for our lives. Without light, we can't function in this world. Let's bring the lights back on. Throughout the Old Testament, it keeps directing us back to this meaning that we're talking about with light and darkness that was brought out in the plagues against Egypt. It is in the prophets. For instance, the prophet Joel 2 verse 2 says, That the day of the Lord is coming. It's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness. There is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people like there has never been before. Predicting a destruction that's coming on the people of Israel at Joel's time. But then also referencing a day that's even darker. It goes on in chapter 2. Verse 31. And it shall come to pass. Excuse me, verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Joel is seeing the same day of the Lord as a day of darkness, both in coming upon the Israelites in a plague that's gonna strike their land in Joel's day, just like Egypt was struck with darkness, and then also extending into the true meaning of darkness, the difference between being in God's light and having his blessing and approval and having God turn his face away from you like the sun being covered so that it's not looking on, God is not looking on you anymore. This continues throughout the Old Testament, hearkening back to the creation story where God separates light from darkness and he calls the light good, but says nothing of the darkness. And then the plagues against Israel. Last week we talked Uh, not last week, several weeks ago when I preached on the last Wednesday about the miracles of the passion. The first one was the power of prayer, of Jesus's prayers. And we went to the Garden of Gethsemane to see Jesus praying and sweating like great drops of blood. Now the whole context of the Garden of Gethsemane is set on the night of the Passover. The Passover we said was coming out of the Exodus God's 10th plague. The 10th plague was where God struck down all the firstborn of Egypt. But he spared his people who sacrificed a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death passed over their house and then they would observe the Passover. Now in that Exodus story, you have a connection between the ninth plague and tenth plague. Moses goes to Pharaoh with the ninth plague and says, There will be darkness over the whole land. And Pharaoh responded to that, saying, Okay, we've had enough of the darkness. Go and serve the Lord, but leave your flocks behind. If they leave their flocks behind, they can't sacrifice to the Lord. And so it has to be a complete and total submission of Pharaoh. And Moses says, uh, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And finally he says, get away from me and you'll never see my face again. And Moses says, I will not see your face again. And that rolls right into the 10th plague where right after that, God says, yet one more plague I will bring, bringing us right from darkness. There's no reference to the darkness ever being lifted. There's no reference to the Lord relenting from the darkness, and it goes right into that evening where the Passover is celebrated, and at midnight, the angel of death comes and strikes the Egyptians, taking their firstborn. Now, Looking at all of this, we're getting a sense of what God is trying to do. He's proving to the king of Egypt that his gods have no power. His number one god in Egypt is the sun god. And God has now struck down the sun god and blackened the whole land, showing that he alone is the god of heaven and earth. It is then in that context that we're seeing the darkness and the light is more than just what we're looking at here. There's something under the covering, right? There's something more to this that's under the covering, and we're trying to discover what it is. Well, now we come to the point of all of this and the season that we're in. We come to our text in Mark chapter 15. It says there that Jesus has been crucified, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani," which means, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Notice that phrase, there was darkness over the whole land. Underneath the darkness, this is what's going on. God is drawing our attention to what's going on behind the darkness. A man is on a cross. But we know in all that God is indicating, and that Luke is narrating from the beginning to here, is pointing us to this meaning that's way beyond a man on a cross, because there are two other men there that didn't mean anything. Jesus hangs on the cross at the pinnacle of the day, from the ninth, uh, from nine o'clock a.m. to 12 noon. It's the time of the day when the sun is reaching his pinnacle. And you expect the most daylight, the most warmth. It's the brightness of the day. And it's during this time that there is darkness over the whole land. God himself has undone the order he established when he created the world. When God created light, he said, let there be light. He separated the light from the darkness and the light he called, what? day and the darkness he called night so he established the order for how this world was supposed to operate and now god is undoing that just like he did in egypt sending darkness over all the land only now the roles are reversed where israel was preserved with light in their houses during the plagues over egypt now they are in darkness They are stepping into the role of the Egyptians, and God is doing what he did to the Egyptians now to his own people. Where Pharaoh's firstborn was the one who was taken in the Exodus, now God's firstborn is taken. Where the angel of death came at midnight, now the angel of death comes in the middle of the day and darkens all things. Where Pharaoh's face would no longer be seen by Moses, now God's face is no longer looked upon by his people. It is truly a darkness that we are supposed to feel. It is a darkness that we can feel. Jesus is hidden from our eyes. But more significantly, God has hidden us from his eyes. God can't look at us at this point. God can't look at Jesus. God can't look at any of this because it is carrying out the most significant reversal of all the disorder, chaos, evil that this world has ever known. All of the works of darkness. Where Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the hour, this is your hour and the powers of darkness. Behold the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And from the darkness, where you can't even see what's happening, you hear, My God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And the people are in such darkness, they don't even know what he's saying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. Jesus is showing that he is no longer the beloved one. He's now the forsaken one. He's no longer even a son to God. He's enduring the total disorder And if any of you have been watching any of the proceedings of our judicial process and confirming a nominee, you know the language of violence and ugliness that our judicial system has to deal with because they were spelling it out in detail. And the types of cases that are in front of our courtrooms and the types of things that are hidden in darkness that a lot of times aren't even spoken of and don't even get to court and are never justified. All of that is there on the cross. Let's bring the lights down one more time. And think about What does God want us to see? When Jesus breathes his last and is buried in the darkness. of the tomb, what are we supposed to see? This is not the first time we've heard reference to light and darkness. It's not the last time that we hear reference to light coming out of darkness. The first narrative element that is emphasized after the crucifixion and burial is that on the first day of the week, a new week, a new day, the sun is beginning to dawn. After the darkness of the ninth plague rolling into the 10th plague, now God is saying the sun is beginning to dawn. Light is coming out. And they are trying to figure out what this all means when they arrive at the tomb. And he's not there. And at some point, those words are going to echo in their minds and hearts when he said, I am the light of the world. And when John said the light casts out the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And God saw the light, and it was good. That in the end, what Jesus was doing, as dark and ugly as our sins are, was good. And so God raised him from the dead. God caused the sun to dawn again. He didn't destroy this world. And if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So let us walk in the light. Let us remember both the darkness that shrouded that day as we enter into Holy Week, and the light and the miracle of what God was doing in the darkness and what he accomplished in the end. And remember that this is good news for us, And it's the redemption of our souls, and in his resurrection, the redemption of our bodies, so that we can walk in the light once again, and God has set the order back the way it was supposed to. All light comes from him, and he is our light. Amen.